It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. we got an exciting hour coming your way. Uh, we'll be able to cover where the president's going to be. Also, uh, ugly news here in New York. It's a sad day as St. Patrick's Cathedral is being ringed by uh, men and women in blue as uh, uh, one of the officers who was killed on Friday is being, uh, well, it's his funeral. And you'll see thousands and thousands of people. Hopefully, you'll see shots of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, and you'll see that the respect that they get, uh, not only from New Yorkers, but especially from those who serve. And then we'll do it again on Tuesday or next week, because on Tuesday we, we lost his partner uh, through the same cop killer. Uh, they were, it was a domestic dispute. They were answering the call. And when they showed up, uh, this mutant uh, shot them both and then executed them. If it wasn't for the third officer who came in and took him out, who knows how much damage would have been done. His mom called for help. Because she felt threatened, and now she feels guilt-ridden. This hour, we're also going to be joined by Michael Wilds, one of this country's premier immigration lawyers. He's got a rich history. He helped us out at Ellis Island as we went back and talked about that historic scene overlooking uh, that the backdrop of which is the Statue of Liberty. Michael Wilds talks about that and also what's happening at our border. Not like what he does. He handles people who want to be citizens. These other people are sneaking in. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I know the policies of this administration uh, are not particularly popular with the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, but that's the reality, and let's see what we can do within, um, within that framework. Popular? You're not doing anything. That's Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary. How dare you say that you're keeping the homeland safe while leaving the back door wide open? They have been doing this on purpose. It's my only conclusion that we see that the southern border collapse and illegal stream into our country. They have to be making that part of policy. They're being cl- uh, closed. Uh, they have these guys, these illegals are being clothed. They're being fed. They're being transported with our taxpayer dollars. We'll bring you the latest on the expose that was exposed only on Fox this week. Number two. This is to honor the life and sacrifice of Officer Jason Rivera. He and his partner, Wilbert Mora, were gunned down when they were responding to a domestic violence call earlier this month in Harlem. Flags will fly at half-staff across the city following that powerful, miles-long procession for his wake yesterday. Unbelievable, right? Thousands of officers and their families pouring into New York City to pay tribute to two slain officers shot exactly one week ago today. And there's no sign the horror for these men and women in blue are subsiding. Six officers shot in the last 48 hours in 50 states. By the way, as officers stood in respect for the slain in New York City, 12 cop cars had their tires slashed. Oh, and by the way, a rapper who shot an officer is now out on bond. Number one. What I see is an incredible act of war and blackmail by Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is no longer a partner of Europe. He is no longer an adversary. He acts as an enemy. Uh, Brace for impact and your capital likely will get sacked. What the heck? That's the Ukraine review of a presidential to president call yesterday. Zelensky and Biden. 
What an inspirational, helpful message, which the Biden administration denied is being characterized accurately. Does the president truly understand this is a D-Day for America and NATO? If this invasion takes place by the Russians, the Baltics and Poland, well, you'll be next, along with the stands. Think about it. I mean, the Russians already took back. Uh, they were asked to come in, Kazakhstan. The people rose up against their autocratic leader, and they asked for Russians for help, so they came in and suppressed them. They said, we're going to shoot on command without warning. And next thing you know, the riot's done. Next, think about this, Belarus. Belarus's unpopular leader loses an election. He calls up Vladimir Putin. Putin makes sure he stays in power. That's called influence. That's called reconstituting the Soviet Union, and that's why it matters. And this call is so interesting. Here we go again with the Ukrainian call. So after they had a call, it was about an hour and 15 minutes, and Zelensky said at the end of it, and some reports to CNN, usually going out of their way, they wouldn't might suppress something like this. Instead, they said Zelensky, was, they were really upset. They said it really did not go well, and that they said, prepare for your, for your capital to be sacked. Prepare for impact. Wow. Thanks. So if that is, in fact, the case, are they mischaracterizing what took place there? I mean, was there more to this? I mean, that's that's the main thing. Here's Congressman Michael Waltz. You know, there's a lot of people on the right, I guess some on the left, who want nothing to do with this conflict. But here's what he told Harris Faulkner yesterday. Cut one. Interest. Why is it in our interest uh, to take bold action here? I'm not advocating for putting American boots on the ground uh, in Ukraine, but there's a lot more that we should be doing to help them defend themselves. Why should Americans care? Well, we shouldn't just stand by and allow the old Soviet Union to get put back together again. And Putin has stated since 2005 uh, that the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the demise of the Soviet Union. He fully intends to put it back together. Right now, we have no cards to play because Biden has taken a concessions first, don't agitate, don't provoke. Uh, and how that's viewed in Moscow is weakness and opportunity. But hmm. sending strongly worded letters and mother may eyes uh, is is only uh, projecting weakness. Right. That's going to invite aggression. At the end of the day, that's going to affect our soldiers, sailors and airmen and Marines. And we'll talk about that uh, at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about uh, this throughout the show. And I'll be able to take your calls at one 408 7669 I also want to talk about what's happening in crime in this country. And right now you see these two officers Shot. Five have been shot since and killed. Uh, five have been shot since Eric Adams took over. So he's asking for, hey, you know what? I need bail reform. And you know what? This DA, according to our governor even, this DA cannot be permissive when it comes to crime, constantly downgrading criminal charges except for homicide. It's not acceptable. There's pressure now on the governor of New York because everyone looks to New York to see how they should run things because New York— uh, is also overrun with crime. The same as Chicago, Portland, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, Seattle, all these uh, crime-ridden areas where the mayors are not empowered or choose not to be. Now you have a chief of police that says, my DA's got to crack down. Mayor Eric Adams says it's the guns, but then he opened up to other options. Here's what he said yesterday as St. Patrick's is welcoming thousands of officers from around the country. Cut 14. As our city mourns, uh, the loss of two officers uh, today is awake for one, the funeral tomorrow. Uh, both these officers, uh, we sit under the tree of public safety because they watered that tree with their blood. We should never forget that. Uh, I think that he understands that to a degree. I know he was very critical of the NYPD when he was a member of the NYPD. 
But my hope is he's beginning to see that there is no honeymoon. He inherited a city in crisis like so many other cities across the country. More from Adams. Cut 15. We need to understand what are we doing legislatively on the state level that are allowing dangerous people to return to our streets. We need to understand why the guns are continuing, continually flowing to the cities throughout this country. We, have, we need to understand why we are continuing to produce broken children that turn into broken adults and become broken people to commit violence. All right. Uh, I can't say he's skating around the issue. It's good to hear someone say directly, uh, guns are an issue. Oh, we got to stop the people from buying guns. We put a gun on a table and it sits there. No one's getting shot. It's the people that pick him up is the problem. Meanwhile, around the country, I'm not kidding. Two police officers were shot Wednesday in St. Louis and Milwaukee. Sorry about that. Um, uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, the Milwaukee sheriff deputy was shot several times during a traffic stop this evening. So many times people look at the body cameras of police officers and they say, why are you so mad? You know, why are you so cautious? Why are you so direct when we pull you over? I mean, what was I speeding? Would I miss a light? Did I miss a stop sign? Well, it's because there is no routine pull aside traffic stop. In St. Louis, the police officer was in critical but and very unstable condition after he was shot in the leg and another officer was shot in the abdomen at 1 o'clock in the afternoon during that traffic stop. In Houston, three police officers shot. The suspects in custody, they had a standoff. Part of this thing is when these guys get caught, they don't quit. They fight back. They're resisting arrest which is so crazy because the DA in Manhattan, among the many DAs who say, if you're just resisting arrest, it doesn't mean you should be arrested or you should be charged with anything above a misdemeanor. It's nuts. And the other major story I wanted to cover is what's happening at our border. Our border is wide open, but we see such details now. We used to debate the wall. What's better, surveillance? What's better, uh, a virtual wall or an actual wall? We don't debate that now because this president decided it's beyond a wall. I'm letting everybody in. And they said, well, Title, title 42 means you got to turn them around. That was in place. He goes, okay, but they're ignoring it. And they said, remain in Mexico. A judge says, you got to do that. That means if you get to the, uh, the Mexican-U.S. border, you stay in Mexico and you get you get evaluated in that country. So few are getting through. They stopped coming. Well, the remaining New Mexico only had 300 people. There was 270,000 who came last month. What do you think? Nobody is remaining in Mexico. You cannot make, without litigation, a, a White House do their job and empower the Border Patrol and ICE officials. Now... ICE officials are telling Fox that they feel like travel agents. Guys walk in, they see if they can contact their families. If their families don't pick up, they give them a change of clothes. They give them a utility bag. They sometimes give them cash and transportation to get anywhere they want. What do you think that message is to every country, an aspiring citizen around the world? Do not go through our system. We know how to beat the system. The Border Patrol is furious. When Mayorkas showed up, they turned their back on him, and they made comments to him. How do we know? Because the guy had a a recording on his phone that's been made public. Here's Mayorkas talking to a TV station. Cut 17. So the the policies have changed so dramatically 
between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. We have ended the policies of cruelty that defined the prior administration. Everyone has to understand that Title 42 is a public health authority. It is not an immigration policy. We remain battling a pandemic, and it is a public health imperative for the benefit of the migrants, the communities into which they enter, and our workforce to continue to apply Title 42, and that is the decision of the Centers for Disease Control. It is not our decision. Okay, but you're not doing it. We have the video that shows single males coming across, non-stressful situation. They're not in distress. They end up getting better accommodations than they could ever imagine in their own country or in their lives. So he's flat out lying. And to say a policy is cruel is an opinion. You pick out a remain in Mexico policy and say it's cruel. That's called you have to sign the guest book, apply for a background check, go through a system. There's a work visa. There's a green card. These people are circumventing all that. And it's cruel to make them stay in a country that they're in and apply to come. That has left it all up to the states. What I think is criminal, I can't stress enough, is it's not a policy. It's a lack of rule and regulation and enforcement. They basically left the door wide open and said, do your own smash and grab on our entire nation in the city and state of your choosing. And it is uh, these are these are things that they these same lawmakers never believed in the early 2000s and the 90s. They are now just letting all hell break loose on purpose now. Greg Abbott called in a bunch of uh, uh, DAs, uh, AGs, and governors and said, let's just go meet and talk about how we take this into our own hands. It's costing Texans and Arizonians, but mostly Texans, millions of dollars to assess their own police force, picking up all these trespassers, 10,000, I think, in all. But that still doesn't even scratch the surface on what is needed. Cut 19. Cartels in Mexico are using TikTok to advertise, to recruit smugglers in Texas and San Antonio, Houston, and other cities in Texas and maybe some other states to advertise for smugglers for pay for them to smuggle people here in Texas, which would include victims of human trafficking. That must be shut down. TikTok should be ashamed, condemned, and have a legal action brought against it for promoting human trafficking in Texas and the United States of America. They want TikTok shut down, right? And think about this. You're shutting down Dan Bongino for posting a video that says that masks don't work. You're stopping people like uh, Joe Rogan and Eric Clapton because they don't believe the vaccine's effective. And you have TikTok doing something illegal, providing to be being the venue and the arena where human trafficking takes place, where drugs are ferried in and children are ferried into our country illegally. And this advertised on TikTok, who also is saying where they're advertising in our country to say, hey, Americans, if you just come over here with your vehicle, I would like to fill it up with illegals. I will pay you a ton of money. I just need your Amer- uh, an American to bring them across because you get a different type of scrutiny than, let's say, a mobster or a cartel member when it comes to the Border Patrol. So here's TikTok's response in a statement yesterday to our own David Spunt. 
TikTok directly, strictly prohibits content that seeks to pro- promote or facilitate criminal activities. And we would remove leaders of cartels or gangs if they were identified in our platform. We also work with third-party intelligence firms to bolster our defenses and make reports to law enforcement as appropriate. We'd welcome the opportunity to work with the governor in this important area. Um, they have contacted already. We'll talk about that more. Listen, I'm up against the break. When we come back, I take your calls, one 408 Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We do share the goal to shape a strong, a massive uh, package for swift and really severe uh, sanctions uh, designed to put a um, huge price tag uh, on a military uh, incursion. And we're there we're pursuing the same goals. We might be pursuing different av- avenues given the legal frameworks uh, we have, but I do see it uh, as uh, I do see the support effort uh, as a mutually reinforcing system of communicating vessels. I don't know what she's saying, but Emily Haber was uh, this German ambassador to the United States trying to explain uh, Germany's indifferent attitude towards the would-be invasion of the Ukraine. She does say they send 5,000 helmets. No word if they want Ukraine to actually pay for them. But they are not letting Estonia, for example, push arms through their country. They have to go around it. Uh, they were not allowing uh, Estonia to actually send uh, send howitzers over to the Ukrainians because they were made in Germany and they don't want any part of the conflict. Think about this. We're not asking the Germans to fight. We're asking them just to get out of the way, let alone support. They won't even get out of the way. And, and by the way, uh, Macron, who's head of the EU, wants to show his, uh, you know, his muscle and wants to go directly with Vladimir Putin. Good luck with that. Sarkozy was a lot better leader. But, you know, Macron is, is had his ups and downs. We know that he's very judgmental on, on our 45th president. He cannot feel secure in talking about our 46th president especially after we ousted him on the nuclear sub-deal. But now, I really believe this is D-Day for NATO. I'm going to bring this up with Colonel West next. Because if NATO cannot dissuade Vladimir Putin from invading and will not let us put additional troops in NATO countries, just to allow us to put troops in there, that organization is beyond on life support. It could be down for the count, which would please all our enemies, especially, especially Vladimir Putin. We'll talk more about it in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So the, um, the policies have changed so dramatically between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. We have ended the policies of cruelty that defined the prior administration. Everyone has to understand that Title 42 is a public health authority. It is not an immigration policy. We remain battling a pandemic, and it is a public health imperative for the benefit of the migrants 
the communities into which they enter and our workforce to continue to apply Title 42, and that is the decision of the Centers for Disease Control. It is not our decision. Right. Uh, the Health and Human Services Secretary, excuse me, uh, he's invisible, uh, Xavier Bracera, but that's Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas, who said Title 42 says send single males home. But Title 42, because we're in a pandemic, it's not healthy. But I guess families get to stay. We're watching and provide video exclusively of single males coming by the thousands, by the hundreds, but since May, by the thousands, uh, streaming across our border. And then they get, go into NGOs, different facilities, things like Catholic Charities and others, uh, give them clothes, give them a stipend, provide transportation, and they go to any state they want. They are totally circumventing the system, and they're not going adhering to Title 42 nor they remain in Mexico. Michael Wild spends his, spends his living uh, trying to get people who want to be uh, citizens citizenship because they're going about it the right way. And it was my privilege to have Michael with me as I took my tour of Ellis Island for my series, What Made America Great. Uh, you'll see that. It's available now on Fox Nation. The mayor of Inglewood joins us. Michael, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian. Such, such a pleasure. So many uh, people are calling and texting and emailing. They just loved uh, what you put together, and such an honor for me and the legacy of my family. I literally felt my two grandfathers in that chamber that we stood. Um, both of them came safely uh, from the Holocaust um, with Russians, with Ukrainians, with with Irishmen, with Italians, and built this country. So. What a snapshot. What a privilege. I thank you. Yeah, everyone should uh, everyone should go to Ellis Island if they get to New York, number one. It's a little cold today. Uh, but number two, you have to uh, check this out because you'll see what immigration was like uh, for, you know, from after the Civil War really to, to the turn of the 20th century. And about 12 million people came through, Michael. Before we go with that, now do you want to talk more about it? How do you feel when you're sitting there and, and you're working with people through the court system to get them citizenship – and you know there's over 2 million people did it the wrong way. They're streaming through our border, and they're just put into these cities, sometimes in the middle of the night, into school systems, and they're circumventing all our rules and laws. Is that okay with you? It's not okay, fundamentally, but I wear so many different hats. I've had the privilege of being a federal prosecutor where I help deport bad people. I'm a mayor now in New Jersey— a proud Democrat leaning more to the middle on most everything, who sees the net effect, as you said, of children being paid for in the school system when they don't even have the right to be here and then burdening local taxpayers. But then I have to tell you, presidents like President Reagan and others through the years understood people are going to come to this country by hook or crook, not just for financial reasons, for political, for spiritual experiences, because they're destitute in other places. And every president in our nation's history for the last 100 plus years has taken a little air of the tires and come up with a way to give an amnesty or to fix it, not to give people the sense that they can bootstrap later and just come in illegally, but understanding that keeping 11 to 20 million people under the shadows is not healthy for our economy, not healthy on crime reporting, and not healthy for mayors and governors that are trying to run cities and make sure that the roads are paved and they have a good snapshot of who's traversing in their communities. Also, think about the broken system we have in Washington, where members of Congress who have housekeepers, who have loved ones, who marry foreigners. We have Marines who marry foreigners. 
everybody has an affected immigration story, and they look uh, they look askance at immigration because every two years they get to get elected, and they look like they're weak in homeland security if they're thoughtful to people. And if anything, this pandemic has kind of put us all in the same even keel, the same humanity that everybody should be protected against adversity. That this ship we call America, our founding documents envisioned that we would take immigrants, make them visas, get them green cards, get them citizenship, and then they would petition other people yep. in a wonderful uh, tradition of family reunification. So at some point, people are working hard, they're bringing their loved ones, and they're going to work harder, and the next generation will have a loyalty to our nation. So this is a heart-wrenching experience for a former federal prosecutor like me to see people pouring through our borders and to see uh, politicians allowing this on both sides of the aisle. Don't kid yourself. It was President Reagan, a conservative Republican, who gave an amnesty in 1986 to people who could prove they were here illegally before 82. But he understood the challenge. Nobody has had that kind of brilliance and talent. Uh Nobody in Congress has been able to change this law, and it's broken, and it's not good for America. I hear you, Michael, but here's the one thing that Reagan did, and he felt let down on it. He said that if, you know what, I'm going to give amnesty for people here, but just seal the border and provide security, and they never did the security. So they go back there with 41 and 43, and they start building a barrier. Both sides used to agree we have to build a barrier. You know, we watch these countries every day build barriers. We, you know, we've seen it. We see it in Hungary. We see it uh, all throughout Europe. In Israel. Israel, Israel, absolutely. Was it effective? Yes. Does it mean you hate people? No. You just want to know who's coming in and out. So until you seal the border, you're never going to get any sentiment to do it. So what the Democrats are doing is I think it's, it's, it's borderline criminal. They're saying we're not going to stop anyone and we're going to use ICE as they call themselves travel agents. All they do is set up travel, uh, travel um, uh, itineraries for illegal aliens. I think there's culpability in, 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 in both parties, unfortunately. But for President, what, though? Uh, Bush, like- President Bush uh, Jr. worked very hard to see if he could, you know, comprehensively change immigration and couldn't find it within his own party to change things. Everybody wants to seal the border first, and then we'll deal with the other issues later. No, you do both at the same time. When you have water coming into your house, you get your pumps ready, you put off a seal on the outside, and you start gutting the, uh, the, the drywall from getting mold spores and everything. We have to fix this problem collectively as Americans. It doesn't matter what party we have. It's time not to attribute blame, but to fix an issue that's going to hurt not just the future of our nation, but the DNA that made this nation special. It's like a big Irish stew. You have to see our our office. You know, we're in New York, New Jersey, Miami, L.A. We're going to open up uh, potentially this year in Tel Aviv abroad. People are still coming in droves. And what doesn't work in other countries works in America. I have Palestinians and Israelis that are in business together in America, but they're killing each other in Israel. So there's something special about this country allowing people through its doors. And I wrote a book. The book I wrote was called Safe Haven in America, Battles to Open the Golden Door. I I ultimately believe that the door has to be on a hinge. We have to be able to shut it against those harms and risks that we take. But we also need it to open quickly for the greatest risk takers and entrepreneurs. And don't kid yourself, the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, the fashion industry, the IT world, a lot of this technology and talent are coming from foreign nationals. And we have to come up with a plan. 
that recognizes the sins on both parties, but looks to the future of what Lady Liberty but, stood in that harbor. See, the one saw. thing that, uh, you know, I think if we were having this conversation with Bush 43, I think it was appropriate. What, what you did is have, you had somebody, one had one way of stopping the flow of illegal immigrants. And you might, people, oh, I don't like that policy, I don't like this policy. But the current policy is not debatable. The current policy is come one, come all, and you're, we're not allowed to throw you out. And they're not doing the Remain in Mexico. They're not doing Title 42. So it's not even my style of security. They're I having agree. no security. And I now you. when I you let to, some in, Michael, when you let some in, the, the word goes back, this is your time. We don't know I'm, how long I'm, this guy's going to stay in power. Honduran, Nicaraguans, they say 110 countries represented last month. It's, it, it bothers me, and you know, and it's heartbreaking to see that some of the effort in trying to cure the issues in the southern hemisphere would go a long way in trying to stem the tide of people coming through Mexico to our country. And you know, it seems Kafkaesque that we kind of shift this responsibility, this debate, this challenge to the next generation, and that is not what uh, that is not what our founding parents uh, envisioned, and we shouldn't be pitting ourselves against one another. Who cares if somebody has an accent if they'll swear their loyalty? Uh, oh, to no, our I, I, think, I, I think the country's in a place now that we have so much respect for people who do it right. Uh, it's a huge plus. Hey, where are you from? I'm from the Ukraine. Where are you from? I'm from Cuba. That's great. You know, you're here, and I'm from Brazil. That's America. But you snuck in. You did this. And here's the thing that you know. We need workers. We need immigrants. All these other countries are dying. We're the ones who are growing. Japan, Russia, they can't populate their place. We have to do it in an organized way. But I want to talk about what we did in El- with Ellis Island. I mean, essentially, how different that was. Michael, as we walked through with a historian, it was basically uh, bring us through what would happen to an immigrant in the 1890s, in the 1930s. Amazing, wasn't it? Amazing. We had uh, a real uh, uh, opportunity here, like I said, to kind of connect with uh, other generations that those uh, steps of separation when somebody had already gone through a medical exam, had gone through a legal examination, they may have been detained for days or weeks, and now they were leaving. And they had one suitcase in their hand, and you and I both looked at each other like, where the hell are they going? If if they had somebody on the other side picking them up, great. If not, they had whatever coins or money they had in their pocket, right. and they were going to start building. And I have to tell you, getting back to what you said before, we have scores of people that come into this United States legally, and then all of a sudden circumstances change in their lives, in their country. And with pandemic, you can obviously develop a, a, a yep. sensitive narrative. And then we need to have laws that will deal with people with humanity and hospitality. And by the way, if we invest in foreign students and we don't fight for them to onboard into the workforce, we're going to be able to invest rather than compete with people who come into this country to learn and then go back to their homes. So that's what I saw when we were at Ellis Island, that there was a simplicity to the way they onboarded people into America, make sure they weren't public charges, make sure they didn't have diseases, but make sure... They had enough money to get someplace because, you know what, when they hit the streets in this nation, they were going to make this nation stronger and better. And that's where we need to get this dialogue and this conversation better. Not us versus them. That You know, shame on all politicians who allow this thing to get worse. 
if you don't fix something, I know this as a mayor, the minute we stop controlling and developing and doing things, the minute we start dying as a community. And that's no different than our nation. I hear you. Here's a little of our special that goes about 35, 40 minutes on Fox Nation. This is our staircase at Ellis Island that we know millions of immigrants went down. Imagine the feeling of a new immigrant who passed the test early on at Ellis Island and was about to go into our country. What's remarkable is this was the path that was paved with gold in people's mind and their vision. And it was what our founding parents and documents envisioned that a new generation would sojourn through this, not knowing where they were going to go. I remember my grandfather who came through Ellis Island and walked down this staircase, told my father when it was 10 minutes before the close of a vote, did you vote, Leon? And my father said, no, I'm tired. He goes, you're a citizen by chance. I'm a citizen by choice. Go across the street and vote. This is a privilege. It's your responsibility. These steps were the beginning of that journey. And each generation is envisioned in our constitution and in our lives as one that's going to improve on that path. Imagine they came with nothing. Where were they going, man? So, and and just picture this at home, because this is radio, but on television, you see the same archway, the same building that they did. These are the same steps that people walked down for 70 years. And when they walked out and got onto a ferry that got them into New York City, they were basically on their own if they knew no one, but if they had a family member, they got started. And then there was that that social safety net we have now, which is not a lot, but it's more than they had. It was game on. You were just so happy for the opportunity, right? Amazing, amazing, and it's it's inspirational. In, in my home and and in all of my offices, I have the passports of my grandfather that had the letter J on it for Jew, and they gave the name Israel before every male and Sarah for every female in case the red J was taken off or came off. And, you know, I remind myself, they became naturalized citizens. They went through the system the way the system had. They had affidavits of support. They were so proud to build uh, this country. And it really fundamentally, Brian, doesn't matter what day of the week somebody prays, if it's a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday. But they came to this country fearing not just God, but respect and loyalty to nation. And that was, you know, something that was inspirational. Mm -hmm. And I work every hard to make sure that this country gets it right. And again, what a privilege. You you opened a a moment in history to to this, uh, you know, young American who will be forever changed from it. So thank you to you and to Fox News. Right. There's no one who knows the immigration story in history better than you. Even today, if you have an immigration issue, uh, look up the mayor of Inglewood, uh, Michael Wilds. Uh, Michael, and overlooking the whole thing, the Statue of Liberty, which is amazing. It's it's almost like a movie. Uh, so go. You know, go I, yeah. I, I still do. I still yeah. do work for our former first lady, Mrs. Trump, and my dad was John Lennon's lawyer. We've been so fortunate to meet some of the greatest talents and people. Despite our political differences, we understand that we're all facing in the right direction. We got to get back to that moment in history that we saw in Ellis Island that will make the next generation proud of us. We have yet to earn that trust. I hear you. Michael Wiles, thanks so much. God bless. You got it. Uh, Back in a moment with your calls. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Preschool through eighth grade. And I'm doing it because that's a developing brain. And they learn. 85% of our kids said reportedly they now felt they could make themselves feel happier. That was huge for me. 
I, I just made it, it. It really did. It made me emotional because if those kids today could figure out that if you could do this in every grade till you're in eighth grade, you'll ride that bike for the rest of your life. That will never, ever go away. That is Goldie Hawn. She also not only said that she has an organization to support mental health for kids, but she also wrote a editorial in today's USA Today where she talks about that she was uh, a kid and she was in school and they told her, hey, we're going to go see a movie. And she goes to see a movie and it's the exploding. What happens if a nuclear bomb goes off? And they talked about the explosion, reenact all the death and destruction. She was so rattled as a kid. She went home, called her mom. They met her at home. And she's like, is that going to happen? Are we going to – it was the 1950s. She goes, is this going to be a Cold War? Is this how it's going to end? And because kids have a, uh, don't really have an accurate perception of reality, obviously, that you learn later in life. But it's so impressionable that you never lose it. 9-11 kids, they go do something different. And then from other kids. So you think about this. This generation, because of the adults – have been forced for the last two plus years to go through lives with masks or virtually learning or not learning at all, not having new friends, not being able to foster other friends, not going to play sports. And she thinks the mental health of these kids will be forever impacted unless we act quickly and professionally because they don't, they don't, do not, they do not believe, uh, does not believe that right now uh, that we could save this whole generation unless we have a game plan. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Ad- uh, Ambassador Alexander Vershbo. Uh, he has spent a lot of significant time uh, overseas, especially knows uh, Russia well, was an ambassador over that country. He'll be joining us live and we'll be taking your phone calls at 1 866 408 7669. Right now, we're looking at uh, Mayor Eric Adams. He's in St. Patrick's Cathedral uh, paying homage to a fallen officer who lost his life at the age of uh, 22 years old by walking into a domestic dispute and getting gunned down. His name is Juan Rivera, uh, and he is uh, he's being eulogized at this moment. And uh, his partner will be eulogized next week. And there are thousands of police officers and citizens from around the country who are, are, are paying respects to him. And it's kind of heartening to see that it's still outrageous to think a cop's gone down. But they're all under fire and in the crosshairs like never before. We'll dip in and out of this. But let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I know the policies of this administration uh, are not particularly popular with the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, but that's the reality, and let's see what we can do within, um, within that framework. That's a reality? Not doing anything at the border is your reality? That is a such in-your-face thing to say. Alejandro Moriarcus, our, uh, our news team has done such an incredible job uh, un- un- unveiling what's happening at our border. Single males being told, we were told they're being sent home. They're actually being sent into our country. We watched the whole process take place. Thanks to, uh, thanks to, um, uh, with thanks to our reporters. Also, we're watching, seeing what's happening when they get on planes and buses. They get off and they get ferried into our communities. We're seeing the private contractors who do that. And we have the body cam uh, video that reveals exactly about this illegal behavior that's happening. Uh, we'll bring you the latest. Number two. 
Today, this funeral service for fallen officer Jason Rivera will honor his memory and those sacred commitments. Thousands of officers from the NYPD and from really beyond across the nation are lining the streets here in Midtown Manhattan outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral as the snow falls on this cold and solemn day. And it hasn't stopped here yesterday when people were holding uh, vigil as his body was moved to St. Patrick's for this funeral. Twelve cop cars had their tires sliced and slashed. Do you believe that? Meanwhile, six officers have been shot in the last 48 hours across all 50 states. This has got to stop. Number one. What I see is an incredible act of war and blackmail by Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is no longer a partner of Europe. He is no longer an adversary. He acts as an enemy. No kidding. I think that is adversary, but I know what you mean. Uh, the ambassador of France, uh, brace for impact, and your capital likely sacked. What the heck? That's the rundown of the call from the Ukrainian perspective between President Biden and President Zelensky. Really? Does the president truly understand that this is D-Day for America and for NATO? If this invasion takes place and they take uh, back Ukraine, goodbye Baltics, goodbye all the stands, and look out Poland. With me right now is Shannon Bream, who's been working overtime with the Supreme Court movement. Uh, and we know that uh, Justice Breyer is going to be calling it quits in a few months, and there'll be a replacement. There'll be a lot there. And Shannon was able to bring that story and find out that Breyer was surprised by the announcement because he was under the impression he was going to make it. Shannon, welcome back. Good Friday morning. Shannon, it's easy for me to look around and see 6th Avenue virtually shut down and 7th Avenue Avenue cordoned off and think uh, everyone has stopped and stood and paid homage to these two slain officers. But do you think, in your humble opinion, over in Washington and doing your national show at midnight, that people understand the gravity of what's happening with the men and women in blue? Uh, I'm not sure, but it's showing up in more and more communities. It's going to be harder to look away from it uh, if you don't want to take note of it or if it's just not part of your personal life as you're out there trying to survive and take care of your own family every day. I mean, because we are a late show, we get all kinds of breaking news. Last night, again, it was in Milwaukee, an officer shot there, and turns out that was the third law enforcement officer shot in Milwaukee in the last two weeks. We know the multiple shootings in Houston, in New York. And, I mean, it's everywhere. So I think people say it in our polling, too, shows that people are worried about crime, not only nationally, but in their own communities. So I think people are, are aware, for sure. I hope, you know, and I, to the point where I'm, I'm hoping things will change. The other big story, and I feel like we've done this a lot, what about that Ukrainian phone call? I know President Trump says his call was perfect. If the Ukrainian uh, leak of the contents of that call is correct, this was anything but perfect. It seems as though the president made it be clear, prepare for impact, and your capital might be sacked. Really? Fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, the White House is sort of, you know, the, the pushback that's coming from them is like it's overblown, the, the Ukrainian interpretation and readout of the call. Um, but they also say we're trying to talk to them um, from a place of realism because we want them to know what's coming. But, you know, Zelensky is there telling his people, like, go on about your lives. This is not happening right this minute. Um, you know, we, we – don't assume that um, Putin has made his decision. Um, and, and the funny thing is, you know, over at the State Department, you have Kirby, uh, Admiral Kirby, saying, well, we think there's still time. We don't think Putin's made a decision. Well, there are plenty of people who think he has made a decision, but the messaging is all over the place, and I don't think you want to call his bluff. I think people got to be ready. 
I, I hear you. Um, the other thing is, here's what General Keene said to me about what he thinks will happen. He did not think this. I talked to him about 90 minutes ago. He did not think that that phone call readout was that big of a deal, which is interesting. Cut six. I don't believe it's imminent because we're still in a diplomatic phase and and Putin is going to run that out as much as he can to see if he can get some concessions. After all, that was his major objective here. And some of the units aren't all in place yet. The main effort, uh, which would be in eastern Ukraine, they still have some units to move in there and they still have more units to move into Belarus. And of course, we have the Olympics coming February 4th to the 20th. Doubt there would be any invasion there that would compromise President Xi and take him off the world stage. So what do you what do you think about that? Uh, he has 62 battalions in place, and that's not enough, Shannon? That blows me away. It's crazy because you got to think he wants this to be not merely a signal. I mean, he intends this to be actual warfare and bloodshed, and I think a lot of people interpret this that way. We can send armaments, uh, different you know partners around the world over to Ukraine. It's not going to match what Putin and his army have, but the Ukrainian people are proud. They are strong. They're patriotic. They are literally willing to fight to the death. They've been doing this. I mean, there have been other incursions where their men and women have put their lives on the line and lost them trying to fight this. And if Putin comes with his full um, might of the Russian army and the options that they have, uh, it's going to be bloody and painful for everybody involved. Yeah, you know, the militarily, I found this fascinating because you don't really get that side. You just see him take Crimea and, and, uh, and occupy the Donbass region, and we kind of forget about it. But over there, evidently, their after-action report was they didn't perform too well in the Ukraine, and they were surprised in 2014 about the resistance. So mm-hmm. what they ended up doing is sectioning off some places that did have some pro-Russian sentiment and at the same time hurt their cause about uh, eventually winning over Ukraine to wanting to be mm-hmm. closer to them and less close to the West. So I thought General Keene kind of took that on this morning. And uh, here's what he said. Cut seven. In their own lessons learned. From the 2014 Ukrainian operation in eastern Ukraine, not only did he consider it a military failure, but he has considered it a political failure because the intent and purpose of that operation was to make certain that the new anti-government regime that was now in power, he wanted them to stop moving towards the West in terms of economic, political, and military integration. And guess what? It galvanized the three administrations to do just that. And Zelensky has done more than his two predecessors. And that is at the heart of some of the frustration that Putin is bearing over should he or shouldn't he take matters into his own hands to change that government. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, because you got to think about the bigger, longer-term picture, the winning the hearts and minds and, and, you know, the affections of the people. Of course, there are going to be plenty of people in Ukraine who have empathies and ties to Russia, family and otherwise, uh, and some who may actually uh, have some positive notion of Putin and the way that he throws his weight around in the world. Um, But the Ukrainian people, like I said, they've shown that they are fighters, that they are willing to die for what they want, which is their independence from Putin and his stranglehold on trying to reassemble the USSR are some portion of it in his mind. So um, they are fighters. And if the West shows up and says, we have your back, we're with you, um, Europe, which is so important, even though they're closer to the threats from Putin in a number of ways, but most practically the oil and gas situation in Nord Stream 2 and Germany and that whole mess. Um, But the Ukrainian people can be one for generations if they feel like the West has their back in whatever way 
uh, is appropriate because I don't think Americans want U.S. troops getting entangled in another foreign situation. Um, but we do have interests in the region, and we have to make clear to the Ukrainian people that we get that and we, we get their interest. So you were out walking your dog and you get word that Justice Breyer is <laughs> going to retire, and then you get to realize the story is not coming from Justice Breyer. Then the original missive put out by you guys and Jennifer Griffin was, well, uh, he's angered that he wanted to make the announcement who leaked this story. And then you guys change it to he's surprised Mm -hmm. after watching him announce it officially at the White House yesterday and not thank President Biden. What else did you glean from what you observed Well, you know, listen, the original sources that I have saying that he was upset or blindsided or frustrated, um, they're sticking by that. Uh, Yes, he was clearly surprised. That's definitely part of the equation, too. But they got the sense that he was frustrated that he hadn't been able to make his calls to the people that uh, are closest to him and to share with them this decision and that everybody ended up being blindsided. I am told this decision was firmly made and that it was going to happen soon. But this is certainly not what he had planned, not on that day. And he didn't want to roll out in that way. So um, I think he is honestly a very uh, optimistic, collegial kind of guy. I don't think that he is somebody who's going to, you know, blow his stack. I've never seen him um, lose his temper with attorneys or anybody else over there at the court. He's pretty laid back, but I, I understand that he was hurt and he was frustrated that he did not get to roll this out the way that he had planned and already committed to. So the big story, and I don't ever think this should be acceptable, saying the replacement for fill in the blank will be in this case, a black woman. And I'm thinking to myself, you've just diminished, whoever that person is, you've diminished the success uh, and that moment from them because they know they eliminated a gender and about a million other ethnicities, and that was part of the criteria instead of your great intellect and experience and background. Here's how CNN played it. First one is a Republican, Charlie Dent, Trump hater, and then uh, Victor Blackwell is the host. I think it's just better to lead with, you know, we're going to have a process. We're going to welcome all applicants, people of all genders and races. And then after you go through that process, then nominate an African, a highly qualified African-American woman. I just think it looks better that way because it basically told everybody else, don't bother applying. That's just more of a procedural thing with me. I just think that's the better way to do it. Having said that, I think the president is going to get a victory here in terms of uh, getting an African-American on the bench. I don't know, Congressman, the first 108 white men who were appointed to the Supreme Court wasn't enough of a message of don't bother applying? No, I, no my, my point is I, I think it's good that he's going to nominate an African-American woman. I just would have said just set the process up in such a way uh, that, you know, you welcome all applicants, then interview them all, then nominate an African-American woman. So what's your reaction to how this – I read Ruth Marcus this morning in the Washington Post and others – that it would have been better if you want to say that behind the scenes, you do it. Or do you agree with Victor Blackwell? Go ahead and make history and tell everyone you're going to do it. Well, I think it was a campaign promise. I think it was something that was extracted from him and that he made um, with goodwill and good faith, thinking this would be an historic, fantastic thing to do. But I think he also did it on the campaign trail with votes in mind. This wasn't something that he got elected. Then he's like, oh, by the way, I think this is what I'm going to do. I mean, he had already promised it. So I'm a little bit cynical that it was, it was like everybody does when they're out campaigning. It was an attempt at connecting uh, with voters and, and winning them over with this promise. But you're right. I worry because these women are incredibly qualified. 
top-notch educations, years on the bench, um, having been voted through and passed through the Senate before many of them uh, who are on the short list with Republican votes. So they're eminently qualified. But I would hate for anybody to have one of these women seated at the highest court and then have an asterisk by their name and say, oh, but they got picked because of their gender and race. It's unfair to them. It really is, because it's not like these are women who would not be qualified to be on the Supreme Court. Anyway, yes, if you were thinking about it in those terms, it would have been smarter to say, we've got a wide variety of candidates I'm going through, and this is who I ultimately select without setting those um, barriers out up front. But like Jonathan Turley, I think it was his headline yesterday, he said, you'd never get away with this as a college admissions decision. Well, I'm only going to admit women, and they have to be African-American. I mean, so he's, you know, the president is doing something that wouldn't pass muster by the affirmative action principles the Supreme Court itself has put together. Listen, I, I totally agree with you. Shannon Bream, we we'll look forward to your coverage throughout the process. They want to move it quick, and Justice Breyer's just in the way. <laughs> well, it is going to go quickly, and by the way, I'll see you at 1 o'clock today with Sandra Smith. It's Girl Power Hour for a couple hours. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's going to, now I have a reason to get cable. Boom, do it. Thank you. Shannon Bream, then we'll watch you at midnight. Uh, Shannon Bream, thank you. Uh, Meanwhile, when we come back to your calls, 1-866-408-7669, then at the bottom of the arrow, we go inside the the mindset of the Russian leader with the former ambassador to Russia, Alexander Vershbo. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Will you address what so many people have called on you to do? Will you address the level of dangerousness and give judges more discretion? And I'm looking for the data that shows me that bail reform is the reason that somehow crime is going up in 90 of 100 cities in New York. So as services take place at St. Patrick's Cathedral and they wrap up, the mayor and police commissioner have uh, spoken already, and the family of the slain is there. Jason Rivera now, uh, his partner, next week. The governor actually thinks that having no cash bail has not been detrimental to New York City. You know what that shows me? Either she's flat out lying or does not talk to any policeman. I'm talking about a patrolman, detective, or police chief. Because for those people who don't, if, if you just live by a bar graph, I'm sure the graphs also show it's a problem. But if they know, if you know that if you arrest someone for offenses that were wrong, for shoplifting, they're going to get out the same day. And there's a resisting arrest possibility and there's a chance that some body cam will misinterpret what you did or they try to uh, fight back and you end up in a brawl. You say, wait a second, I'm getting paid the same regardless. If I, sh- if I file shoplifting charges against this guy, not only are they going to be knocked down, he's going to get to leave the same day. He's got to n- come back and hit that right aid again. So what they do that might not show up in a chart is nothing. Carly, listen on WABC. Hey, Carly. Hi. Um, I'm calling in response to your previous guest. I will also say quickly, I kind of find it hypocritical that just switching between this and uh, WCBS, they're covering the funeral lines in your sitting around complaining. It's such an echo chamber that you have in your reporting, in my opinion. Um, but also, no, I can think you Can that you say that again? Because I don't think I'm getting it. You were flipping to CBS, and what happened? So CBS covering, you know, the service live, covering what Mayor Eric Adams, what the chief of police is saying at this service, and y'all are just, like, complaining in a circle about policy. You're not... Well, about would you rather? Would you rather you you want to hear the comments live? Um, 
I would rather that you stop using uh, the Dominican cops as a prop, honestly. Why, why do you that... think I'm using them as a prop? Do you want not want me to talk about them? Do you want me to pretend they weren't um, Dominican? Do you What do you want me to do? I would like for... I think that what y'all say about... Uh, the premise of race on WABC gets to me, I think. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In their own lessons learned from the 2014 Ukrainian operation in eastern Ukraine, not only did he consider it a military failure, but he has considered it a political failure because the intent and purpose of that operation was to make certain that the new anti-government regime that was now in power, he wanted them to stop moving towards the West in terms of economic, political, and military integration. And guess what? It galvanized the three administrations to do just that. And Zelensky has done more than his two predecessors. And that is at the heart of some of the frustration that Putin is bearing over should he or shouldn't he take matters into his own hands to change that government. So what part of the thing he did besides take Crimea by force is that Donbass region, he has these so-called uh, rebels that are that are loyal to Russia. I'm sure they're officially trained, just dressed differently. Uh, they are dominating the Donbass region. It's such, so much unrest. They don't vote. So now the people that do vote are all pro-Ukrainian. And when you get invaded by another country and you start to get bullied, you actually rally together as a country. And they are much more formidable now and much more uh, galvanized now to be with the West and are closer to a democracy than they were before the invasion in 2014. Ambassador Alex Vershbo joins us now, former NATO Deputy Secretary General. And uh, out of his huge resume, he was former ambassador to Russia from 01 to 05. Ambassador, welcome back. Good to be here. Ambassador, first off, what do you think about what the general was reviewing about what happened in 2014? Do you agree with what the Russians, that's what the Russians think, not a success? Uh, I do agree, because uh, he's right. The main goal for the Russians has been to prevent Ukraine from kind of turning to the West becoming more integrated with the rest of Europe. And in that regard, it it has been a failure. Uh, The Ukrainians want to be a free country. They want to be an independent country. They don't want to be under Russian domination. And uh, that uh, attitude has gotten stronger uh, the longer the Russian uh, war and occupation has gone on. Uh, The Russians also had strategic interests, but that was secondary. This was more about preventing Ukraine from going west and preventing democracy from taking root in a country right next to Russia, which could sooner or later become contagious and threaten Putin's control over his own country. So does Vladimir Putin want to just take Ukraine and put up with all the derision and sanctions that could be coming his way? Is this worth it for him? He's got 62 battalions in place and wants more. Do you believe the invasion is is inevitable? And do you think he... Um, is worried at all about the ramifications? I think he is worried. I don't think it's inevitable that he will attack. Uh, Of course, he's launching different kinds of uh, attacks even today, things like cyber attack. He's got subversion, covert actions. But a direct invasion and an attempt to occupy even, even part of the country might be biting off more than he can do. And as the days pass, I think he's getting a clearer picture of the the kind of harsh response that he's going to get from the United States, from the European allies, and from the rest of the world 
if he uh, changes borders by force, which is a flagrant violation of the U.N. Charter and just about every other agreement you can think of. So he's, I think, hoping to, to, to intimidate the West into giving him some of what he wants, but he's put forward such outrageous demands, basically, that we roll back 30 years of history and make the free countries of Eastern Europe you know, Russian satellites again. Uh, that's simply not going to happen. So he's going to have to figure out a way out of this. Uh, it may be too hard at this point. Uh, he may feel he has no choice but to act, but uh, usually it's not that much of a risk taker. So yesterday we made it clear that if he invades, Nord Stream 2 is dead. Do we actually have that power? Isn't that Germany's, isn't that Germany's deal? Say again, I didn't get the question. It was garbled. The, um, they made it clear yesterday, did the State Department, that if Vladimir Putin invades Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, from their country throughout the West, with the hub being in Germany, dies. And do we actually have the ability to do that? Well, no, the, the Germans have to help. I mean, we, we can impose sanctions that would make it very difficult for the German companies involved to continue to, to, to do it. So, yes, we could, without the Germans' cooperation, uh, paralyze this Nord Stream 2 project. Uh, Biden's tried to avoid doing it that way. He wants to bring the Germans on board consensually. They are allies. They're not our enemy. And I think he's been successful in that. The, the latest signals out of the German government uh, are that the pipeline is going to be killed or, or certainly suspended for the indefinite future if Russia goes ahead and invades. Uh, so I think this is a case where patience has paid off. The Germans are back on the reservation. Uh, what do you do? You believe that he created this crisis for a reason? For example, I would think the Syrian operation, him, their incursion there, they must look at as a success, don't you think? The Syrian operation? Yes. You know that was a success because he was trying mainly to prevent the the regime of Assad from being toppled by what he thought was a U.S.-led coalition. It wasn't really just our doing, and in that sense, he succeeded, but at the expense of completely laying waste to the rest of Syria and uh, you know, pumping lots of refugees into Europe, which has not enamored him uh, of, uh, of public support there. So uh, I think he's, you know, th this is a much more formidable undertaking. This is a country of 44 million people. They have learned how to fight back. There will be costs for the Russian military if he, uh, if he goes in. Uh, the sanctions are going to be uh, much, much harsher and more sweeping than anything the U.S. and its allies have, have tried in earlier stages of this crisis. And we've done a lot, uh, even if it's a little late in the game, to arm the U Ukrainian armed forces so that they can directly impose costs on the Russian invasion force themselves. And the Ukrainian people, one should have no doubt, are going to resist, even if it means partisan guerrilla warfare. So that's why I say he may be biting off more than he can chew. And I wouldn't uh, completely give up on a diplomatic solution that could uh, prevent Putin from making a very fateful mistake. We're talking to Ambassador Vershbo. He's been ambassador to Russia, Korea, uh, U.S. ambassador to NATO. So you know this region as well as anybody. Ambassador, how has NATO acted? Uh, do you feel as though they've looked strong or weak or fractured? And I bring you to Germany in particular. The German ambassador to the U.S. spoke to Brett Baer yesterday. Tell me if you could read anything into their words. Cut 12 deep concerns uh, with regard to what Putin uh, is embarking on. We share entirely the concerns uh, uh, the U.S. have, 
our partner, all of our partners have, and that's why our key interest is uh, to produce un to well, to uh, be as unanimous and uh, unified as we pos possibly can. But they have not been. I mean, they did not want. They did not let Estonia go across their land, uh, as to in order to get shipments over to Ukraine. They did not let the howitzers that were made in Germany that were sent over to the Baltic areas. They couldn't. They weren't allowed to send them back because the Germans said, "No, our names on them. We don't want to be a part of this." Does that would that concern you if you were still with NATO? Uh, absolutely, and it still concerns me now because it doesn't uh, send the right message of, of unity. Uh, but I think uh, in terms of the bigger picture, the Germans are pretty much in sync with the rest of NATO on the need to impose very serious consequences on the Russians if they invade. And, and even some of the decisions that are underway now to begin to mobilize more NATO troops along the border just to deter the Russians and show them that their efforts to blackmail the West to pull back its forces are backfiring, that NATO is going to beef up its capabilities along the eastern border uh, as a result of this crisis. The denial of uh, transit for some of the uh, weapons from Estonia and other countries is unfortunate. It doesn't make a huge dent in the overall flow of, of material that's going to the Ukrainian armed forces, but it is an unfortunate uh, breach of solidarity. Can't can't deny that. Ambassador, when, if an invasion is going to take place, when do you think you, they would happen? Before the Olympics? After the Olympics? Well, the Olympics may only be a secondary consideration, although you know, I'm sure Xi Jinping doesn't want uh, to have his uh, his party spoiled by, by a, a, a war in Europe. Uh, but I think that the experts think that the, the climate conditions in terms of the frozen ground and the additional supporting capabilities that still haven't been put into place means that uh, the second half of February is the most likely window for any uh, attack, uh, particularly if it's a large operation, because he doesn't need, need more capabilities for that. Uh, so that gives at least a few more weeks to try to steer them uh, toward a, dip a diplomatic solution. Uh, we've had these exchanges of written proposals in the last few days. Uh, Putin just said something uh, very negative about the uh, U.S. and allied response. But they're also saying that they see some small signs of rationality within the uh, Western position, which is a grudging phrase from the Russians. Uh, so uh, diplomacy may still have some life in it, and we may be able to steer the Russians towards more concrete arms control solutions, uh, mutual bans on certain kinds of new missiles, uh, conventional constraints. Uh, as long as it's reciprocal, uh, this is something that uh, we should be willing to, to discuss. And if it gives Putin a face-saving way out of the current uh, march to war, all the better. Yeah, uh, that would be. He does need an out, and he does care about his reputation more than most. Ambassador Alex Birchbaugh, I know you got to run. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. You got it. one 408 Hey, let's go over to Jeffrey Listen on WABC in Connecticut. Hey, Jeff. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was calling about this remarkable young man, uh, Officer Jason Rivera, uh, murdered at 22 years of age. And, and what I find most remarkable about his life is that this young man didn't join the police, let's say, after 9-11, which, of course, you know, about the time he was born. It, he joined, so not at the height of the police popularity, he joined at the height of the police unpopularity. He joined when all the powers and principalities 
were aligned against him. He joined when the current vice president of the United States stoked the hatred against the police and legitimized cop hatred. So, I mean, so this this guy was stepping into a job at the absolute worst of times. Not, so it wasn't a, you know, a, what, what the, the guy called a sunshine patriot and a fair weather warrior or whatever. He, he did this when he knew there was great risks, when he knew uh, there yeah, was tremendous well, hatred. And, 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 he and wanted contrast to change that with the president who picked Kamala Harris, who legitimized rioters and cop hatred, to be his vice president. So they have no credibility to come to town. So, oh, you know, oh, these poor cops, they died. Well, of course, you're not happy that it happened, but you certainly – how many resisting arrests have led to violent incidents where either cops are killing killing the perp or the perp are killing the cops? Because they think that the, the pro-criminal DAs and the pro-criminal vice president have their backs. I mean, it's, it's – gotcha. so they've created this climate where young men like this, precious young men like this who stepped into the breach at the worst possible time. Where 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 they they're they're slain, and and every criminal in New York City, and in New York State knows the governor and the DA of Manhattan, not the mayor now, thankfully. They have their backs. Got you, Jeff. know so your points very well made. He stepped in when nobody else was. You don't do it for the pay. You do it because you want to make things better. And the president's got a credibility issue. Just because he is not like Cori Bush, the congresswoman from Missouri, who comes out every time she says, says to fund the police, you got to just break them up. They can't be redeemed. Just because he didn't say that doesn't mean people don't know that when Kenosha was burning, he visited Jacob Blake. He couldn't care less about the town. He never talks about the cops. He says they got to be both, so he doesn't say how. And he wants to do police reform after Build Back Better failed, not talking about how we crack down on criminals. So people understand that. Uh, they don't have that. They don't have short-term memory loss or long-term memory loss. They get it, especially those people, those uh, those uh, police families. one 408 7669 Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Everyone likes to say, everyone keeps telling me over and over and over again, oh, you had such, such a big influence on your brother. Everything that he did, everything. He would come to me, he would ask me for his opinion on all of his decisions. Everything, everything, everything. And that was true. That was true. Everything that he did, He always wanted my opinion on it. But no matter how much I begged my brother, no matter how much I begged him to not become a police officer, I had no influence on that. No influence. No influence. There was nothing, nothing, nothing that I could say, that my mother could say, to take that that burning desire that he had inside of him to become a police officer, to wear, that un- to wear that uniform and get that badge. Nothing, nothing. My brother's first love, my brother's first love was policing. That was his first love. And that was uh, the older brother of Jason Rivera, Jeffrey Rivera, uh, talking about his brother. And right now his widow, Dominique, uh, is speaking now, and she's talking about that. Uh, it's really heartbreaking. She's talking about how they got along great, they had this great relationship, and the day he gets killed, they had a big fight. 
and she's trying to find the location app, and uh, she realizes he's in Harlem Hospital. She got a citizen app notification, said that two cops have been shot. She wanted to check to see how he's doing. She sees her, she sees the location that she shares with him, has him in Harlem Hospital, and she says, are you just sitting there? Are you going to answer me? And obviously, he had already passed away. I mean, that's, I mean for $40,000 a year for getting all the crap that they got to take on the streets and hear all the stuff where they don't even want to wear their uniform to work because they don't want to uh, create any angst for the anti-cop movement that dominated here, especially two years ago, that everyone thought was so great and therapeutic. Now what's going on? Now you have a situation where Black Lives Matter is being looked at by the IRS and all other agencies because they have something like $60 million raised, $30 million left, and nobody's in charge. And guess what's in the carnage? The the police force, the men and women in blue who are uh, supposed to uh, keep law and order in big cities, whether they're imperfect or not, no one's perfect. That's one thing. But the other thing is you spend about three years denigrating their work they do, uh, letting everybody know there's no glory in it. And now you don't have any people doing it. The people that do it aren't protected. So they're not extending themselves going out of their way because they don't want to ruin their livelihoods and destroy their lives uh, by bringing in and cracking down on crime when these judges and these DAs let people out. So it's this is so correctable. But right now it's it's uh, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, we might be at a turning point. I think we are. But we're not we haven't actually turned the corner yet. So it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty uh, unbelievable that anyone could be watching what's going on right now and think to themselves, "Wow, this is good." Here's Eric Adams yesterday. Cut fifteen. We need to understand what are we doing legislatively on the state level that are allowing dangerous people to return to our streets. We need to understand why the guns are continuing continually flowing to the cities throughout this country. We we need to understand why we are continuing to produce broken children that turn into broken adults and become broken people to commit violence. And listen, if you want to get the state legislature's attention, you're a Democrat, you're halfway there. If you want to get the governor's attention, you guys aren't on a rivalry, that she's running for re-election, you're there. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got a big hour coming your way. Kennedy, who hosts the show at 7 o'clock on the Fox Business Network, will be here. Also, I want you to join me on Saturday night, 8 o'clock, the first edition of One Nation on the Fox News Channel. That's going to be exciting, as will my interview with Kevin James, which I did on Tuesday We edited it up for his brand new movie called Home Team. You'll love it. It's based on Sean Payton being suspended from the New Orleans Saints, and he went and coached the sixth grade football team. They made a documentary on it, aired on the NFL Network and Netflix, and then Adam Sandler saw it, and Adam Sandler said that would be a great movie, but they kind of made it a comedy. Uh, Kevin James did a great job. You'll hear my interview with him. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I know the policies of this administration uh, are not particularly popular with the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, but that's the reality, and let's see what we can do within, um, within that framework. Unbelievable. 
They have to be doing it on purpose. It's my only conclusion. As we see the southern border collapse, illegals stream into our country, and their system just puts them into our country. They're being clothed, fed, and transported with our taxpayer dollars. We bring you up on the latest on the two big stories that broke at the border that the administration hoped would never come to light. Number two. Today, this funeral service for fallen officer Jason Rivera will honor his memory and those sacred commitments. Thousands of officers from the NYPD and from really beyond across the nation are lining the streets here in Midtown Manhattan outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral as the snow falls on this cold and solemn day. Yeah, one week ago today, two officers were gunned down by some mutant who wanted to kill cops, and he was successful. He got killed himself by a cop. He is now dead. His mom called the cops because she was afraid for her life, and now these two officers lost theirs. Meanwhile, it's not stopping, and it's not just New York. Six officers shot in the last 48 hours across 50 states. And by the way, as officers stood in re- for respect for the slain New York City officer as his body went to St. Patrick's, 12 cop cars had their tires slashed. Unbelievable. Number one. What I see is an incredible act of war and blackmail by Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is no longer a partner of Europe. He is no longer an adversary. He acts as an enemy. Uh, You know what? I have to agree with Bernard Henri Levy. Brace for impact. And your capital will likely get sacked. What the heck? That's the Ukraine review of a president-to-president phone call on Thursday. What an inspirational, helpful message, which the Biden administration denied as being characterized accurately. Does the president truly understand this is a D-Day for America and NATO? If this invasion takes place by the Russians, the Baltics, Poland, all the stands, they're going to be next. They'll reconstitute the Soviet Union. We'll have the, uh, the Chinese to deal with and another Cold War with the Soviets. And believe me, that's exactly what Vladimir Putin wants. So uh, we'll st- uh, we'll f- go back to that, and I'll do that with Kennedy. But I do want to talk about what's happening in New York City because it means so much to all of you, hoping your suburbs, your rural community, your city streets get safe, and they're not. It all started about three years ago when the whole defund the police movement began, and people started doing things like collapsing the homeless unit in New York City, taking a billion dollars out of their overall budget, and getting rid of the plainclothes unit. Know what happened? We got a ton of homeless We got a lot of uh, innocent people being shot by gang members, unable to predict where crime would be. And by disempowering the cops and having no cash bail, there was no incentive even to make the smallest arrest unless it was a major shooting and a certain homicide. So now all of us are in greater danger, whether you're hopping on a subway or walking to work. And now these two officers went to work in Harlem and got gunned down. Uh, A lot of VIPs spoke, including uh, Cardinal Dolan. Uh, including the the president of the Police Benevolent Association, including the mayor of New York City and the police chief, as well as the widow, uh, she spoke about their she spoke about uh, the fight that they had. They had this great relationship. They've known each other since they were young, and she talked about being frustrated because you know he was working so much overtime and the stress that comes with the job. And when he got home, he had so much paperwork and. Who knows what else? But that's how she described it. And this great relationship had a real rocky day. So here's how she described the last day uh, that they spoke. This Friday, we were arguing because I didn't want you to use your job phone while we were together. You were so mad that you took LeBron jersey down. Gave me your chain 
and put the lotions I gave you for your ashy hands in the bag and said, here, take them. We left your apartment, and because I didn't want to continue to argue, I ordered an Uber. You asked me if you are sure that you don't want me to take you home, it might be the last ride I give you. I said no, and that was probably the biggest mistake I ever made. Unbelievable. How horrible is that? So that's their last interaction before this career criminal, in, in and out of prison since 1998, took his life. She didn't stop there. She was brilliant, by the way, and just heartfelt. It's amazing. when I always amaze when people don't usually do this or so fantastic at it at such an important time because the whole world's watching, and it's so human, the interaction, and it also humanizes the people that wear that uniform and should horrify and should embarrass all these other people who like to condemn people wear that uniform. But we have a problem in, New- in Manhattan uh, the same way you have a problem in San Francisco, the same way you have a problem in Los Angeles, the same way you have a problem in Philadelphia, the same way you have a problem in Houston. What do they all have in common? George Soros-backed uh, attorney generals, district attorneys, I should say, who uh, are into uh, criminals first. They empty their prisons, they reduce crimes, and they, uh, they word goes out to the prosecutor not to prosecute. Here is what she said to the Manhattan DA. His name is uh, Alvin, Alvin Bragg, uh, who had already got a talking to from the Democratic governor. Listen. Jason is so happy right now that all of you are here. Through pain and sorrow, this is exactly how he would have wanted to be remembered. Like a true hero. Or like I used to call him, Big P.O. Rivera. You have the whole nation on gridlock. And although you won't be here anymore, I want you to live through me. The system continues to fail us. We are not safe anymore. Not even the members of the service. I know you were tired of these laws, especially the ones from the new DA. I hope he's watching you speak through me right now. I'm sure all of our blue family is tired too. But I promise, we promise, that your death won't be in vain. I love you to the end of time. We'll take the watch from here. And that's pretty effective. I mean, th- this DA has everyone just nuts because he's not going to prosecute any crime. The message is go, go at it. 
close up that Rite Aid. Go uh, carjack that car. It doesn't matter. You're going to be out again. By the time you get into court, you're going to have a judge that has no power to assess the, the, or how dangerous you are to society, and no prosecutor is going to go for the jugular legally. So uh, things like that could change minds. I don't believe that the mayor with his current popularity and the governor thirsting for reelection can possibly allow this DA to do what he plans on doing, which he released in day one of his work when he put out that memo that got into the press. And it's so much worse than I'm describing it. It just basically says criminals have at it. The city is yours. And now as we come back off the pandemic and this Omicron variant subsides, we're down 28 percent in New York. People are going to come back to work and then they're going to find out that, you know what? I don't really feel secure with 25 homeless on the train. Uh, they don't look uh, they don't look hapless. Uh, they look angry. And I got to worry about bringing my family into the city uh, to go see a play because I really can't be sure that they're going to be safe, let alone drive in. When I get at a light, am I going to have a gun pointed at my window and be told to get out? So that's what happens when this D.A. lets everybody know he will not prosecute crimes. one 408 7669 When we come back. Uh, Kennedy joins me, and then we take your calls, and then Kevin James. It's Brian Kilmeade, the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It would not bother you if the nominee was more liberal or far more liberal than you. It's not too hard to get more liberal than me, Uh, so it would not bother me having a person who was sound in their thought process, had been sound in, in their disbursement of justice and the rule of law, whoever he puts up will have experience and we'll be able to judge him off of that. But as far as just their philosophical beliefs, no, that doesn't, that will not prohibit me from supporting somebody. So we're talking about the next Supreme Court justice after Justice Breyer. He made it official yesterday in an awkward press conference. The president slurred his way through it and Breyer didn't even acknowledge that the fact is he was on the the senators, then Senator Biden was on the Judiciary Committee that passed him through under Bill Clinton. So they didn't really have any, uh, doesn't seem like they had any personal synergy. Why? Because Justice Breyer was pushed out like they were bullies. But you're not pushing out Scalia. You're not pushing out Sandra Day O'Connor. You're pushing out a feral, fellow liberal. They are so convinced are Democrats that they are going to lose the House and, and maybe the Senate that they just want him out. They want to be able to put a liberal in there. And foolishly, and I hope this never gets acceptable, the president named the gender and the and the ethnicity of the person he wants. He did it with vice president. He did it to become president. He's like, listen, I'm going to pick a woman. It's going to be a minority if you just pick me. And then to Clyburn, he promises as a candidate, I will pick and pledge to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. Uh, okay, where'd that come from? Well, now... He ends up getting South Carolina, getting the nomination, beating Donald Trump, and he becomes president, and Judge uh, Justice Breyer is pushed out of the Supreme Court, and now he's going to name a black woman. And I think it diminishes the pick, and people say, well, is this an equal opportunity, affirmative action hire? When if you look at these stats and, and the backgrounds of some of these women, I mean, they look as good as anybody. I don't really know what they're like. My sense is if he picks someone that is just – she's going to be liberal. She's going to be uh, for the Democratic cause. She's going to be similar to Kagan, I imagine, right? If she picks somebody like that, like Breyer, only female and black, obviously, then I think Republicans should go along with it. That's what happens. You lost the presidency. He gets to pick his person. Go along with it. 
And even though you only need a simple majority, thanks to Harry Reid, capitalized on by Mitch McConnell. But don't expect as Republicans for him to pick somebody that you would pick. That's why Barack Obama was wrong to pick Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland, as they say, now we're seeing differently as attorney general. Oh, he's pretty much a moderate. Not really. Republicans never bought it. They went into the holding uh, pattern, and Merrick Garland never got his hearing. And Barack Obama never got his last justice. But they said, no problem. Hillary Clinton's going to win. And then she'll just fix everything. And it turns out Donald Trump won, and he put uh, three Supreme Court justices there. But they are just ruthless in going for this. But if they put a radical candidate up there that is an activist, which I'm getting indications they might be doing— Joe Biden will further divide the country. I mean, is, if he does do that, I don't care if you are an extreme liberal or, or, a, or an activist. If you care at all about the country, if you put somebody like that on, uh, uh, on, they might, they'll probably get confirmed. If, of course, a vice president can break a 50-50 tie, that's interesting. Uh, I'm hearing some people say that's not true. Here's the problem, though. The favorite is not the pick of James Clyburn. So there might be some interesting uh, give and take there because he is the most powerful Democrat in the country. Here's Senator Tom Cotton on the chances of him voting for anybody they put forward. I'm less worried about the color of the nominee's skin or her sex and more worried about her legal philosophy. I'm fearful that the president is going to nominate a left-wing ideologue who believes it's the Supreme Court's role to write the laws and make the laws, not apply and interpret the laws. The reason I'm fearful of that is I've seen his nominees to the lower courts for the last year, and almost uniformly they have been radicals, left-wing ideologues who want to impose the left's vision for America on this country through the courts as opposed to trying to persuade their fellow Americans at the ballot box and then in legislatures across the country. You know what might be interesting behind the scenes? If they do their research, get to judiciary experts, and there's a lot out there, to give Joe Biden a list of candidates that Republicans might vote for, that maybe do what happened with Scalia. Obviously, there's not, there wasn't, I think he got, what, 80-something votes in the Senate? So we can go back to the 80s. Do you really think there were 80 conservatives in the Senate ever? But they voted for him. They say, yeah, we don't, we don't have the presidency. You know, we don't, we don't have the committee majority, so he's got to get passed and. You know, he seems to have a clean background. I don't think I have to worry about him drinking and driving. I don't think we have to worry about him doing anything unsavory. Uh, having said that, look at his background. I wouldn't have voted for him if you were the other party, but I'm going to pass him. And I think um, the same thing with it was going on back and forth like that for up until, you know, uh, up until what we've seen lately. So now they're, they're, it's a pitch battle. Say, hey, these are the these are the candidates I could probably swing 10, 20 votes for if you want to pick one of them. And maybe Joe Biden might pick one of them. You know why? Because almost every significant Democrat is telling Joe Biden, I don't want to appear with you. Beto O'Rourke in Texas said, I don't want Joe Biden's help. Stacey Abrams in Georgia, where Joe Biden has 34% approval rating right now, says, I don't want to appear with Joe Biden. The president of the United States that everyone says got 82 million votes. And then today, Fetterman, who wants to be the next senator and fill Pat Toomey's seat, in Philadelphia, he's too busy to show up. So I'm wondering if Joe Biden gets embarrassed by that because he understands it and says, maybe I should start doing things that are somewhat moderate that might be able to save my party something, as opposed to trying to placate the very vociferous left and squad members that seem to make the most noise, but they don't have the most impact. That's interesting because 
On the other side, for those people who think Joe Manchin's going to uh, hurt his party and not vote for the candidate, that's one thing that is pretty clear. He'll vote for a candidate. He voted for both Supreme, two Supreme Court justice nominees of Donald Trump's. He didn't vote for Amy Coney Barrett, but he did vote for two. He says, look, I'm, you know, I'm a moderate, and that's what Republicans want. I'm going to put them forward. They seem fine. You know, Judge Go- uh, Justice Gorsuch. Um, so he voted for uh, he voted for him, and I expect him and Sinema to do it again. So listen, when we come back, I'm going to talk to uh, Kevin James. You're going to hear my interview with him about his brand-new movie. You might be snowed in this weekend. Go to Netflix, download Home Team. You could actually watch it with your family. And you might even laugh. Can you imagine? And also, go look up the documentary because it's based on a true story. Sean Payton, the former coach of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't forget my show, 8 o'clock on Saturday, One Nation. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I One of the people I've gotten to know a little bit, and I really respect his diversity, his work ethic, and, man, his talent is Kevin James. Maybe we watched him on King of Queens. Then we watched him in Hitched. Uh, we watched him in every Adam Sandler movie that's worth anything. Grown Ups. Uh, Grown Ups, I think we're up to Grown Ups 11. I'm not sure. So uh, one movie uh, that he's doing now that's out that you got to see starting tonight is Home Team, especially because you can watch with your home family, uh, with your own family. And before you do, go on, uh, go on Google and YouTube and look up Sean Payton and Cutting Oranges. Because Sean Payton, when he got suspended from football on the New Orleans Saints for Bounty Gate, which was his defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, went and said to his defenders, if you hurt this guy, if you hurt that guy, I'll give you money and give you an incentive. That got out. And next thing you know, they suspended Williams uh, and they banned Sean Payton for a year. He was head coach. He says, you must have known about it. So therefore, you'll, you'll pay the price. So what does he do for that year? He went back and coached his son, his sixth grade football team. They based that off a comedy where Kevin James plays Sean Payton. I watched the movie that interviewed Kevin. Here it is. You guys know what Drew Brees does? When everybody else has gone home, Drew stays on the field. See what he could have done better. That's how you become great. That was a clip from Home Team, the new sports comedy starring and produced by Kevin James, co-produced, I should say. He plays NFL coach in real life, Sean Payton. It premieres this week on Netflix. The film sees the Super Bowl winning coach get suspended, take on his next coaching challenge, and that is his son's sixth grade football team during his suspension. Uh, It is fantastic. It's based on a true story. Kevin James joins us right now. Kevin, congratulations. Another winner. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate that, buddy. So what when you heard about Bounty Gate, we all did, and it resulted in the suspension of Sean Payton and Greg Williams and others, what made you and Adam say, now there's a comedy? <laughs> uh, nothing it made me say. It, I, I had no idea. I remember it going down, and I, I didn't know what it, what happened, what was the, you know, all the inner workings of what happened down there, but I knew he was off. Never knew about this part of the story. Uh, Sandler called me. Uh, and said uh, there's uh, an idea for a story that uh, about Sean Payton and about this, and it was what took place after uh, the suspension when he was off for the year. Uh, and once I found out that what he did uh, was turn that, you know, downtime in his life into uh, an incredible story and, and the greatest year of coaching football in his career, he said, uh, after winning a Super Bowl, um, it was just very... It, 
interesting story. And it was like, oh, man, this is really, this is a great movie. And there's some moments in it. Uh, I mean, you can act. I know everyone looks at you as a stand-up, but you, you clearly can act. And I saw when you were with uh, your son in the movie, and you have to bond with him, and he's upset about the divorce, and whether that was true or not doesn't matter. Uh, you had to break the ice with him. And though, could you describe those moments? Did you channel your own kids? Because you have four of them. I do have four. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You, you, you think about what it would be like to be separated from them. And talking to Sean and what it was like, you know, and I mean, how many of us do have jobs where it's, it's it, you know, it, it's difficult because it keeps you away from them. And, and you know, it, 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 some people can't afford to even stop working to go back and do that. And it's, you know, they have to do this. They have to fulfill that duty. And it, it's tough on relationships. Uh, and, you know, that's what moved me so much was that Sean, when, when this thing happened, it gave him a moment to, to think about his life and reassess everything, what was important. And, and bond with his kid. And he's got a great relationship with his son to this day. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 I did think of that. I did channel, what you know, man, what would it be like to be away from my kids and try to reconnect with them? And it, it, I, it would be horrible. So it's like, you know, you do anything. You know, even though you have that love of football and you love, right. you know, coaching, it's it, it's a tough balance. But, uh, you know, you know, family, family comes first over that, you know. I mean. Right. So, Kevin, the other thing is pretty clear. You got your brother uh, on the set. He does a great job, uh, Gary. Rob Schneider, one of your great friends. Uh, the brother, yeah. the, uh, uh, Adam's brother-in-law was co-writer on it. And you yeah. actually have, as your wife in the movie, Adam's wife. Yes, yes, so Jackie how Chandler. did you do that? How did you handle that? Because you and Adam are friends, but yet when, when they say action, that's your wife. Like, how did you handle that emotionally? How did he handle seeing his best friend with his wife? Well, we're not kissing, you know, like we, they were, they were ex at the divorced at the time. So it, it was, you know, a little bit and he still got such great love as I do for Jackie. She's amazing. Um, so it was easy. It was easy to play that, you know, uh, she, she, she's amazing. She's, you know, a, an incredible actress, uh, her own, you know, on her own. And she just made it simple. She was just, you know, and, and having, you know, being really friends with them for so long and knowing them and, you right. know, them knowing our family so well and, and us knowing their family so well, you know, it just made it easy. It really did, right. you know. It was more awkward for Schneider because Schneider was the one who had to, I think, <laughs> kiss her and be all over her. Right. You know, and he, he would, he's the new guy. Right. I know. He had to really uh, play that role. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, he had to sell not, that. I don't mess with that. Not with Sandler. Why would I do that? Exactly. Uh, so, Kevin, the other thing is I didn't get permission, I don't believe, from the NFL to use it. But I watched the documentary that his daughter shot as they look back at what really happened, this and if this Super Bowl winning coach goes back and coaches his son's sixth grade team, and he has the closing moments, he says, this is the best thing I've ever done. I've rediscovered my love of football. I connected with my family, the most enjoyable season ever. And you see those real moments happening. So how much did you say, I kind of want to stick to the movie. I want to stick to what really happened. And how much did you say, I got to make people laugh? It, it was a combination, but that was that documentary was called Cutting Oranges, and uh, that's really what the movie was based on. It was Megan; she just did such a great job with that information that it, it, it sells the movie in it itself, right there. You know, um, so we just took that and you know, with the guidance of you know Sean and 
and and and Sandler and everybody kind of putting this movie together. It was just one of those things where we go, hey, we have to have a balance of fun and 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 tell a story. And and a lot of fun things did happen with that team. So it was like a bad news bears team. Uh, they they and and just worked in such a perfect way that Sean brought them all the way to the championship and they lost the championship, which they did, which is great for you know the other coach and team to be able to say they beat you know, right. Super Bowl winning, you know, Sean Payton's team. Um, it was just a, a win for everybody, you know. Right. The, the, it worked for the movie. So, so Kevin, I don't want to give the whole movie away, but they could always watch the documentary. But in this, to solve this offense that the team that crushed you guys, the Warriors, he called Bill Parcells to try to he solve did. this offense. In your movie, you called Bill Cowher. Did, could you not afford Parcells? Or, <laughs> I mean, was he too expensive? Was Cowher coming in cheap? That, that was the one. No, 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 no. We just, we, we, we made a decision. I don't think uh, Bill uh, uh, was uh, available at the time to, to film it, and we wanted to do it live, and he was great. He was, he was willing to do it. It was a scheduling thing, so we, we had to go with Cowher. That was very funny. Right. Kevin, the other thing is, it seems to me, I don't know Sean Payton well, but growing up in New York, as you did, we saw a lot of Parcells. You reminded yeah. me, I hope it's not an insult, you reminded me more of Parcells in the movie. And did you try to be that guy, that uh, the Parcells-like character, or were you like, this is how Kevin James would have coached football? That's, it's a little bit of me in there, but it's, and again, it was a, it was a mishmash, a potpourri, if you will, of coaches and of accents, because by the way, I have to say, Sean Payton's got an accent that dances all over the joint, you know, and it was hard for me to kind of, I told him, I go, hey, they, people can think I, I can't do your accent because I'm all over the place. And he says, well, that's what it is. You know, he said, you know, he's from California. I thought he was from, I, I, he's got a little drawl in there, a little bit of Southern, he's got Texas, he's got, he's got everything in there. So it, right. it, it was a mix of everything. I brought what I brought to what I think a coach would do um, and, you know, trying to make it fun as well. But, uh, yeah, it, would, it all came together really well. Kevin, the one thing's pretty clear, sports matters to you. You wrestled. It formed a lot of your personality. I know your kids wrestle. Are you concerned at all as we see these sixth graders have these impressionable moments that kids aren't playing sports anymore? Just because they're not stars, they're not playing. The stats show it. Do you think about that as a dad and then after going through this sports movie, coaching youth sports? I didn't, I didn't think of that because I didn't know that stat, to be honest with you. I didn't know that kids aren't playing because of that reason. I would think they're not playing a lot because they're, you know, on the Internet and constantly doing that stuff. And I, obviously, you know, with the, with the, the struggles of, of, of COVID and everything going on, uh, kids aren't getting outside enough and, and, and doing that. So that would be my concern. But I didn't know that was a stat. They don't play because they're not winning. But it's it certainly, I mean, sports definitely shaped my life and, I would love it to, to, if not entirely, partially shape my kids' lives and, and help those. You know, it, it was a great avenue for me to learn about life, you know, and be, about being a teammate and, and uh, you know, just and working hard, you know, to, for, for things. So um, it's not to say you have to be in sports, but it's, it, it definitely helped me for sure. Movie's great. Best of luck, Kevin. Home team, you're excellent. And to everybody involved, it's because if we get a chance to smile again, and I think America needs it. Good job. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, bud. You got it. Kevin James uh, talking about his role on the sidelines. So it's not going to be feel like the documentary, but it's so weird that Sean Payton ends up, after I watched the movie, you know, I'm not the biggest New Orleans Saints fan, but of course where they're all their success and the Super Bowls, I saw both of them. So 
Uh, so the movie comes out, and Sean Payton's doing some interviews for it. And then they go, Sean Payton resigns. He resigned from the Saints this week. So not only has the movie come out, he's like, I think I'll quit. So he quits, and the word is he could be going to TV. Everybody wants him, and I think if he's available, I think the Giants get him. And others say, you know, McCarthy's got one more year with the Cow. He's got a lot of years. I think he's got a five-year deal or maybe a 10-year deal. But the Cowboys don't care about losing money. If he doesn't turn it around and get them deep into the playoffs, they love Sean Payton. They loved him when he was offensive coordinator there. They'll go tap him. He'll have plenty of options. But he, uh, it's just weird for him to resign after 10 years or more the day the movie comes out. So when we come back, I wrap things up. Also, I got to remind you, I got to remind you again, Saturday, 8 o'clock, One Nation. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. Again, uh, I'm happy to tell you that on Saturday, the first show, 8 o'clock, followed by Dan Bongino, who's awesome, and then Lawrence Jones. I've seen his show. uh, The the format It's going to be great. Uh, for us, we're going to have Vitaly Klitschko. He's the mayor of Kiev. And how does he feel about the Germans sending helmets? How does he feel about President Biden reportedly saying, get prepared for impact and have your your city, the one he's a mayor of, sacked? And he's a former heavyweight champion, as you know. And then we're going to have Kurt Schilling talk about not getting in the Hall of Fame after 10 years, even though his stats say he should be there. Is it because he's a fan of Donald Trump? Uh, and we're also going to have Mike Ruzioni. Should we be going to the Olympics at all? Uh, the captain of the 1980 team, remember, we boycotted the Moscow games. They boycotted the Los Angeles games, meaning the Soviets. Uh, so we'll talk about that, and we'll also have a lot of surprises, including the first ever news duel on television with Kennedy. So let's get to and find out if there's more to know. More to know. Ben Roethlisberger, to the surprise of no one, after 18 years or a remarkable career, 249 regular season games. He was a monster and a gamer. He had some controversy, far from perfect. But, man, with this, can this guy play? 23 postseason games and three Super Bowls, two of which he won. Here's Ben's final words. I don't know how to put into words what the game of football has meant to me and what a blessing it has been. Well, I know with confidence I have given my all to the game. I am overwhelmed with gratitude for all it has given me. A boy from Finley, Ohio with NFL dreams, developed in Oxford at Miami University, blessed with the honor of 18 seasons. As all a right, Pittsburgh. yeah, it was good. It was nice to put music and put producing to it. But Miami of Ohio, you don't expect it. And remember, he was in the same class with Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. Uh, him and Eli both won two Super Bowls. I guess uh, he lost one. Let's find out if there's even more to know. New York City will soon require employers to supply a salary range when advertising a position. The biggest step yet in a growing controversial pay transparency movement. Why it matters? These laws aim to give workers, particularly women and people of color, more power in job negotiations. But the rise in remote work is throwing a wrench into those plans. I did not know this was an issue. I just thought that was part of, I don't think I want that job. I'm not sure how that pays. And, and you, if the salary range is not that high, it's usually not listed. Well, that's true. But having the range is helpful, right? If you know, like, okay, this job gets between like thirty and fifty thousand. So people, in theory, with that title in the company, should be getting within that range. But do you think there's more interesting things in this story that I have not read yet? I do actually. A private, um, a handful of private companies have already taken this matter into their own hands. So at Whole Foods, apparently, you can look up what your coworkers make. So would that help employee morale, or would it hurt it? 
heard it, I, I think. You know, that why is this? Why does he get a raise? He's not working hard ever since he got the raise. I'd be very interesting because the one thing they always say is do not talk about your salary here, right? Yeah. It's, don't they, they tell you that? Um, they don't tell us. I mean, it's just one of those social norms, right? You never ask anyone what they make or things like that. I do agree it is actually helpful to have more open discussions about that because it sort of does help everyone rise up, assuming you all work pretty hard. One thing that good came out of the pandemic, people are getting paid more. I think that that is good, but it's killing businesses because somehow they got to get the back end up. If it's a restaurant, then they raise prices. Well, that's true. Actually, interestingly about this, too, in Colorado, they have some of the strictest um, laws regarding this, but it's hurt them because now some companies don't want to list their job openings for Colorado because it makes it more difficult. And Wow. Yeah. Next, Toyota's Lunar Cruiser. Toyota's working with Japan's space agency on a vehicle to explore the lunar surface with uh, ambitions to help people live on the moon by 2040. I didn't even know Japan was trying. That's good to have an ally. I would agree. Eric, is this feasible? By 2040, that's a little ambitious. But if anyone can do it, it's Japan. Right. I mean, but Japan is having trouble filling up their own country. They're trying to fill up another planet. Uh, The launch is set for 2020. Look, I would love to deal with Japan. They're innovative. They're bright. They're well-educated. I don't think they have evil intentions. So it would be helpful. We were working with the Russians now. We're not doing that anymore. We're going to work with the Chinese. They split off and did their own thing. Uh, I think they got potential there. Remind me to get back to that. Next, a veteran-owned D.C. bar is closing over a vax mandate. Uh, the big board of 421 H Street Northeast refused to comply, and now the Alcoholic Beverage Regulation Administration has recommended their license be temporarily suspended. The uh, the ABCB voted to refer the case to the district att- district office of attorney general to draft a summary notice. The bar already received two fines of a thousand dollars each and a verbal and written warnings for various violations. The whole thing is dipping down. It's just more carnage. Today I interviewed three people on television that got fired from Blue Cross Blue Shield. Two of which one had a was a pastor religious exemption, and number two they both had natural immunity. All fired. Here's another example. I agree. Well, hopefully, you know, Dr. Makari, his piece gets some more traction and people start to reverse their stances on vaccine mandates and hire people again or they reinstate uh, the alcohol license for this bar. Yeah. Next, Navy SEALs are stopped using Washington State Parks after residents voice fears of seeing our men. They're running through drills. It's a perfect topography for them to train. Uh, they're in the Whidbey Environmental Action Network. Now, all of a sudden, people are upset seeing men in... Uh, camouflage working. I would love that. Wouldn't you love Navy SEALs in your backyard? <laughs> Who wouldn't? No, but I mean, but why did the Navy stop doing it there? Why don't you just tell them, um, we're protecting you as a country. Too bad. I guess it's kind of PR stuff and the very liberal Washington state. It's I, our military. Why are we caving to that? Which I know, know we do why. all the time. I know. You, you know why? Hey, listen, I hope to see everybody with a great roster of guests on the first ever edition of Fox Nation. You'll always remember the first time. So be there 8 o'clock and then 11 o'clock Eastern time. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.